All right, good morning. How are we doing? Wow, good to see you guys here this morning. Thanks for joining in today, uh, especially if people are jumping in online. I just think that's a cool thing that you can uh, pass on a link to your friends and uh, people can check things out before they get here. So welcome to you if you're doing that. It's uh, 2015. Can you believe that? I mean, I heard it takes like two months for people who still write checks, there's a few of us here, to actually write 2015 and get it right. So there's some adjustment time that has to uh, take place with that. So first Sunday of 2015, awesome, glad you guys are here. How many of you, and let's be honest, all right, um, you make resolutions? Okay, a few more honest people in here uh, than I thought, but uh, goal, how about goals? You make goals, is that better? You said goals. There's something about the turning of the calendar, you're going into a new year, it's fresh, you get a chance to try some new things and uh, you want to accomplish some things and there's this person that you want to be. And so I, I do that and I'll take some time. I haven't done it yet, but I'll sit down. I'll write out some things. Here's how many books I want to read. Here's some physical goals I have. Here's, you know, kind of person I want to be. And I, I just, I love the fresh start and the chance that we get to do all that. There's actually, and you would probably know this if you've made any goals or resolutions before, but there's actually five that kind of rise to the top every single year. They're just consistent. Fitness, that's number one, huh? Fitness, we're not gonna do a show of hands, but fitness. And so I'm at the gym yesterday. My member number is 2753. I'm running on the treadmill and I just keep seeing person after person come through on a tour of the place, right? They wanna become a member on January the 3rd. And so I'm for you, right? I really am, I'm excited about that. I just thought maybe I could like pass out little cards to say, here are my preferred times when I will be here. You're welcome to come any other time. That would be awesome, wouldn't it? <laughs> and, but, and I know there's new people there because there's a lot of brand new workout gear, you know what I'm talking about? And so it's like fitness, that's a really high goal. Well, then there's like finance goals, simple things. I'm gonna spend less this year, I'm gonna save more. Finance goals, there's, there's family goals, <clears throat> excuse me, which end up being usually pretty vague. I wanna spend more time with my family. It's kinda of hard to quantify that one. Um, I got um, family things happening today. Today is actually my wife and I's anniversary. And uh, yeah. 23 years, 23 years. I thought you might clap for that because it's like, wow, they got married when they were 15. That was pretty amazing, you know? But it's kind of cool that it's on the front end of the calendar year because January the 4th, we basically get a look at each other and go, all right, fresh new year. I'm, I can go another year. How about you? Let's do that. Let's go for it, you know? So there's those kind of goals. Then there's habits. You know, habits works its way up there. I'm going to um, eat in a more healthy manner. I'm going to quit smoking, something like that. And then there's this fifth one that kind of gets in there in a variety of different ways, which is I'm going to live life fully. I'm going to embrace all my opportunities and I, I'm going to go for it. And listen, if you set resolutions and if you're the kind of person who has goals, I'm for you. I, really, I, I'm, I hope that you hit them. I hope you get to the end of the year and you look back and you go, wow, I did that. But I gotta bear some bad news, all right? 40% of us are gonna give up on those goals or resolutions by the time we get to the end of this month. 75% of us are gonna give up on them by the time we hit Valentine's Day. So there's that, that to look forward to, all right? Hey. But let me tell you the good news about all that. I mean, yeah, it's disappointing because you got uh, uh, this kind of person that you wanna be. You got some things you want to accomplish this year and you, and I think all of us do, we, we want to be people that make an impact with our lives. 
So it's disappointing, right, that maybe we're not gonna reach all those, but here's the good news, all right? Can I share it with you? The one thing that differentiates people who reach their goals from people who don't reach their goals is accountability. That when you find somebody else who's going after the same thing that you're going after, I mean, your chances skyrocket of actually being able to hit your goals. So that's pretty cool. So here's what I wanna propose this morning, all right? I mean, what if on this first Sunday of 2015, we all jumped in together and pursued a common goal? I mean, what if we all just said, you know what, let's get one thing and let's go after it. And we can encourage each other along in the process and and maybe increase our likelihood of actually getting there. I mean, what if by pursuing this common goal in the end, we were able to make a difference in our families and the lives of our friends and the people that we work with and uh, schoolmates and in our neighborhood and even in our community and throughout our county? And, And what if the leaders and the pastors and the staff of this particular church all agreed on the one thing we wanna set before you? And I'm gonna give it to you, are you ready? I need you to pay attention. You might want to write it down. What if we all pursued this common goal as we went forward into this year? Live a questionable life. Now, some of you are going, wow, I got off to a good start on New Year's Eve. I went to this great party and I am off and running. That's not what we're talking about, all right? Actually, when you read articles and stories and look at the statistics and uh, look at surveys like I do as a pastor, you'll come to realize that when they take the life of a Christian and they set it over here and their behaviors and their choices and their decisions, and they set it alongside the life of a person who's yet to follow Jesus, oftentimes there's very little to differentiate between the two. I mean, it's just the truth of the matter that right now in our culture, Christians or the idea of a Christian, it just doesn't have very good feelings for people. We don't have a good reputation. As a matter of fact, if you're someone who's yet to follow Jesus, it might be because you actually do know someone who's a Christian and you've looked at their life and you've thought, no, thank you. So when I talk about let's live a questionable life, What I'm asking us to consider this morning is to live in such a counter-cultural kind of a way that your family and your friends, your classmates, your coworkers, and the people in your neighborhood can't help but step back, look at your life and go, who are you? Why do you do that? And so that's what I want us to consider this morning. I want to read a passage of scripture from the New Testament in the book of Colossians. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand. Our ushers will bring one and give it to you. That's yours to keep. Write your name in it, take it with you, or you can just borrow it for the morning. If you have your own Bible and you know how to navigate, go to Colossians. If you open up to the middle and turn right, eventually when you get past Jesus, you'll hit a series of short books. If you get to the maps, you've gone too far, come back to the left a little bit, all right? Now, Colossians, now this is such a big deal what we're talking about here this morning that if you've been around for a while, you'll know that back in the fall, we offered a short-term course that we called My Mission. We had over 100 people from both of our sites spend five weeks going through My Mission, just looking at what does it look like to be a follower of Jesus and live out the mission of Jesus in our world today. One of the things we offered in that class was an acrostic, 
And I'm going to share it with you here in just a second. And I think I can do that without giving away too much information about the course because we want to be able to offer it to you again. And I would encourage you to go through it. But we just simply said there are five practices that most people should be able to do or at least attempt to do. And if you do these things, the end result of that will be people who look at your life and go, okay, who are you? Why do you do the things that you do? So here's the five practices, all right? The first one is this. It starts with the letter B. Begin the day with prayer. Now, prayer, that, that's just you and I communicating with God. We talk to God. In turn, we listen to God. And specifically, what we're praying is, God, the first thing this morning, now that I have time, God, I'm praying for the people that you're going to bring into my path today. God, as I go throughout my work, as I go to school, as I do whatever it is I'm going to do today, God, I'm praying for the opportunities for people to come into my life and for me to be aware of those opportunities, God, just to build a relationship with those people. That's what we're praying for right out of the gates in the first thing of the morning. Then the letter L stands for this, to listen. Most of us, our first reaction is to talk, right? So we need to pray, God, God, help me listen. And as people come into your life and, and you know, you meet them, you listen. You listen to what their needs are. You listen to what their story might be. And then we talk later. E stands for eat. Now some of you are going, okay, I might be able to do this, eat. It just simply means that as you get to know people and you listen to their story and you hear about their needs, that as you do some of the regular things that you do, you have coffee and you have lunch, you just invite those people to come along and join you and you build the relationship that way. S stands for serve. All right, B-L-E-S. We're getting there. Some of you are ahead of me. You're like, I think this is gonna spell a word. S stands for serve. So I get to know some people and I hear their story and I find out what their needs are and then I just start meeting their needs. I serve them however best I can. Now, if you think about that just for a second, just step back and you think about those things we've talked about. Begin the day with prayer. I mean, that's something I can do, isn't it? I mean, I just need to remind myself first thing this morning, God, I'm gonna begin with prayer. Listen, right? I mean, if I can just stop myself from speaking first and pull back a little bit and just listen to people and say, God, help me just listen. Find somebody who needs to talk. I could do that. Eat, right? That's something I already do once, twice, three, four, sometimes more times than that every day. I just need to remember to invite some people to come along with me and join me in that endeavor and build that relationship. Serve, right? I mean, most of the people I know, they want to serve people. They want to actually meet needs, and those kinds of things are available to us all around all the time. Uh, but it's this last S, all right, and we are spelling the word bless, which stands for story. Story is just your story. It's the way that Jesus has made a difference in your particular life by following him, and that's the one I want to propose that's the most challenging. You see, those first four practices are all to a degree things that you can do on your own, and they're things that are somewhat within your own control. But talking about the difference that Jesus has made in your life, that's different. You see, there's two parts to that. On the one side, there is sharing my story, which requires me to share. But the other side of that equation is it requires someone who's interested enough in my life who actually wants to hear what I have to say. There's a famous quote that's credited to a Franciscan monk by the name of St. Francis of Assisi. It goes like this. 
He says, preach the gospel at all times. When necessary, use words. Anybody ever heard that before? I came across that when I was in uh, college as a student, and I, and I saw it printed on a piece of paper, and I cut it out, and I had a desk, and I had a name placard. I don't know why, as a college student, I had a name placard, but I, I, I pasted it to the back of that thing, and I thought, I just want to be reminded. I want to see this thing, because I thought, this is, this is so cool. I love the way that he said that. I mean, to me, it just kind of highlighted this whole idea that I want to live my life in a way that people don't need me to explain what I'm doing. It's just so obvious. Now, there's two problems with that particular quote. One, there doesn't seem to be actually any historical evidence that St. Francis of Assisi ever said that or wrote it in any fashion, all right? The second thing about it is, it doesn't really make much sense when you think about it. It's like saying, I want you to go out and feed the hungry, and if necessary, use food. It just doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. It actually leads us to mistakenly think that living by example, although that's really important, actually replaces the need to share our story out of our very own mouths. I like the way that a Christian author by the name of Amy Sherman actually writes this. I think she strikes a really good balance between the importance of both, that here's how we live and here's what we share. She says this, the deeds are there to validate our words. The words are there to explain our deeds. Now, here's the question I want you to think about as we go forward for the next few minutes. How do we actually get the opportunity to share our story with people who are interested in hearing it? So if you're reading in your Bible, Colossians chapter 4, it's written by a guy named Paul. He's a follower of Jesus. He writes this letter to some other Christ followers in the city of Colossae, and they seem to be struggling with some of this same issue as well. And so here's how he addresses that particular issue. This is Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. So he's writing this letter. I want everybody in the church to be people of prayer. And pay attention. Here we go. Pray for us, too, that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. That's why I'm here in chains. So Paul writes a lot of letters while he's in prison. People didn't like the way he was talking about Jesus. They decided to stop him. Verse four, pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. Now here's Paul. And Paul's known as a traveling evangelist. He's gonna move around from city to city, from region to region, and wherever he goes, he's going to tell the story of Jesus. He's gonna share everything he possibly can to anybody who's willing to listen. And that's called an evangelist. Now, the New Testament in different places talks about that within church communities, there are certain people or individuals who are especially gifted with this thing called evangelism. You know some of these people, right? They can preach wherever they go. They want to talk about Jesus while they're standing in line to check out. They talk about Jesus at the coffee shop. They talk about Jesus on an airplane. I've had evangelists try to talk to me about Jesus. I don't know what that really means. And then, um, you know, they can draw diagrams of what they're talking about. They can pull out a napkin and say, it goes like this and like that. They're especially gifted to talk about Jesus. They're wired that way, just to share Jesus wherever they go. And Paul's saying, look, I need everybody here in the church to jump on board and to pray for me and to pray for my team. 
Pray for us to have opportunities to talk about Jesus. Pray for us to take advantage of the opportunities to talk about Jesus and and pray for us to share it in a way that's really, really clear. And so Paul's asking for prayers from everybody within the whole church. Now, as I'm reading this, what you would expect Paul to say, at least what I'm thinking is, you guys pray for me and in turn, I'll be praying for you. But that's not what he says at all. He actually says something different. Verse five, he says, here's what I want you guys to do. Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone, right? Keep in mind, some of us are gifted at evangelism, but for the rest of you, Paul says, look at these things. Be wise how you live. Make the most of your opportunities for relationships. Have conversations with people that are just full of grace and know how to answer people when they ask questions about your life. It seems like Paul, if you're looking at this, doesn't actually consider everybody to need to be gifted at evangelism. It seems like everybody doesn't need to be the one who boldly puts their foot in the door and proclaims Jesus. He seems to be saying, the rest of you, your primary responsibility, your primary mode of proclaiming the message of Jesus is simply this, not boldly in public settings, but simply in response to people's questions about your life. Now, if Paul's writing this letter to a group of people here at LifePoint, he would say, look, there's two things I really need you to do. Would you pray for people who have this gift of evangelism? Pray for them. And then pray for the rest of us, which is probably most of us, to be prepared to answer people's questions about Jesus. Now, that implies some things, doesn't it? It actually implies that you and I are living lives that cause people to ask questions. And I want to propose that if you're a follower of Jesus, that's your mission. That's your mission, to live a questionable life, a life that evokes curiosity, a life that raises questions. So let me just simply ask you, are you living a questionable life? Are you living a questionable life? You see, the first Christ followers didn't go door to door and ask people to fill out a survey and hang up door hangers. If, if that would have been effective, I'm sure they would have done it, right? But that's not the way they actually did it. They simply lived questionable lives. I mean, their lives just seemed to be so extraordinarily different from the culture around them that they literally transformed history. I mean, they blessed their families and they blessed their friends and they blessed their neighbors and the people that they did life with. And, and they did it in such a way that people said, listen, tell me about your motivation. Who are you people? Why do you do what it is that you do? See, actually during a time in history when two epidemics wiped out a fourth to maybe as much as a third of the world population, People were dragging sick people out into the streets and into the back alleys so they could further prevent the spread of disease. It was Christians who came along and picked those people up and cared for them and restored them back to health and and sat with them and cared for them deeply and in a way that other people looking at them go, why would you do that? Why would you risk your own health and care for people oftentimes that you don't even really know? During another time in history, 
when slaves had absolutely zero rights whatsoever and women were considered much like property, Paul, whose words we've just read here this morning, actually wrote some other countercultural kinds of words when he said this, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for we all are one in Christ Jesus. It caused one noted historian to say this about what Paul wrote, it's so countercultural that he called it the first expression of egalitarianism in human literature. And it came from a follower of Jesus who just simply lived a questionable life. There's another time in history when newborn children were abandoned simply for being born as girls and not as boys, just simply cast aside. But it was Christians who came along and cared for them and established the first orphanages. And while much of the world stood passively by, at least they looked at these people and they asked the questions, why? Like, why do you love like that? Because they're living questionable lives. Friends, the first followers of Jesus, they got together and they prayed. And then they took the people that were in their life and they shared a meal with them in their own home. And they listened to their stories and they met their needs and they literally transformed the world. And the people who were part of their lives would look at them and ask, why do you sacrifice like that? Why do you put other people first? Why do you love people that you don't really know? Because they're living questionable lives. In fact, I love this story. By the fourth century, the Roman emperor by the name of Julian was so concerned about the spread of Christianity that he called together all of his top officials to a meeting and he said this, we must stop the Christians, I mean, what were they doing? Here's what they were doing, he says. They're caring for people. <laughs> they're visiting the graves of the unknown. They're feeding the hungry. They're treating slaves as brothers. They're taking care of people who are not part of them. And if we don't stop them from doing this, we're in big trouble. See, he thought that what made Christianity so successful wasn't necessarily what these people believed. It had to be how they behaved. And so in a short book, he actually wrote to much of his cabinet and his officials called Against the Galileans. That's his way of referring to Christians. He reprimanded a lot of the pagan priests who were part of his staff, essentially, for not keeping up with the Christians. And here's what he writes. He says, I think that when the poor happened to be neglected and overlooked by our priests, the impious Galileans, or Christians, observed, they observed this and they devoted themselves to benevolence. The impious Galileans support not only their poor, but ours as well. And everyone can see that our people lack aid from us. <laughs> Friends, it's the followers of Jesus who lived like this in a way that was so intriguing that people looking on had to ask, who are you? Why do you do that? And I can tell you this much, then no one is going to ask you about your life and no one is going to ask me about my life if it looks like everyone else's. No one's curious enough about what I'm doing and what you're doing to ask oftentimes if there's nothing different about what we're doing and how we're living. I mean, if my life looks exactly like everyone else's, what could they possibly ask me about? And so I've been really challenged by this the last few days. And I'm just simply asking myself this question. Am I living in a way that causes people to ask, who are you? Why do you do that? 
So think about these questions just for a second. Is there anything questionable about your life and the way that you care for people in need? Is there anything about your life that's questionable when it comes to how you spend your money? Anything in your life that's questionable when you prioritize your time? Anything in your life that's questionable about defending the poor or standing up for the powerless or what it looks like for you to have relationships? See, I think one of the greatest compliments from somebody who doesn't follow Jesus yet would be to look at my life and say, there's something different about you. Tell me about it. Who are you? Why do you do what you do? In a book called Strengthening Things to Come, the author Michael Frost talks about a shoe store salesman that he met in San Francisco. It's a shoe store in the Mission District and it's called the Subterranean Shoe Store. The owner and the um, operator is a former pastor who decided that he wanted to move down to this particular area so he could have a presence in the neighborhood. And he thought that opening a shoe store, for one, he loved shoes, but he thought it would be a great opportunity to break into the neighborhood and provide a service. He says, but there's one thing a little bit different about me. He says, people come in and they start looking around. I say, hey, can I help you find something? And they say, no, just looking. He says, well, if you have some time, would you take a few minutes and join me over on the couch? Now, this is a simple room, lots of shelves, lots of shoes, but in the middle of this particular room, he's placed a long lounge, a couch. So he says, if you'll give me a few minutes of your time and come over and sit down on the lounge, tell me your story. I know shoes. I can tell you what you're looking for. And most people will look at him and go, hmm, all right. And so they'll sit down on his couch and he says, many of them will tell a story that takes five minutes. Sometimes people will sit there for 25 minutes. I grew up here. I went to college here. I now live over here. I'm a Republican. I'm a Democrat. I'm married. I'm divorced. I work over here. I'm gay, I'm straight. And he says, they'll just pour out their story. It's amazing. He says, oftentimes with great tears and emotion and people are sharing things with him that they've never told anybody else in their life. And after a while, he'll say, wait here just a second. And I'll walk over to the shelf and I'll pull out a pair of shoes. And I'll bring it back over to the couch and I'll sit down with people and I'll say, I love shoes. I know shoes and I know people. And I'll say, again, he's saying, look, these people are emotional, sometimes very raw. And he'll open the box and he'll go, is this what you're looking for? And they'll say, that's exactly what I'm looking for. <laughs> he says, I sell a lot of shoes. Now on the way out, he says, as we're completing the sale, people will stop at the cash register and oftentimes they'll look at him and go, who are you? He'll say, I'm just a shoe salesman, just selling shoes, right? They'll say, no, really, who are you? You're like a psychiatrist or something? Let's go, no. You're like a guru who's masquerading around in, in a shoe store? No, I'm just a guy who sells shoes. He says, now that I've been a guy who just sells shoes, I've been invited to more parties, anniversaries, birthdays, celebrations. 
I've talked about Jesus a hundred times more than I ever did when I was a pastor. Friends, that is what this series is about. That's what we're talking about the next few weeks. How questionable is your life? See, we're going to look at some stories from the life of Jesus who was unlike anyone the world has ever seen. I mean, everywhere he went, people asked, who are you? Why do you do what you do? People questioned everything about him. They questioned where he lived. They questioned who he hung out with. They questioned the choices that he made and and the people that he brought into his life. And so when he talked, people listened. I'm going to ask you, if you would come along with me for the next few weeks, would you go on this journey with me? Would you and I together make some questionable decisions? Can we do that? I mean, can you imagine going into work tomorrow? Hey, did you go to church yesterday? Yes, what did you talk about? I'm going to start making more questionable decisions, all right? (laughs) But just join me. I mean, what if we lived a life that really evoked curiosity or a life that raised questions and lived in a way that people were so compelled about what we were doing, they just stopped and said, who are you? Why do you do what you do? And then we told them. We told them. I mean, can you imagine, really, if we all did this together in your own life and in the life of our church, how many people would be impacted in the greatest way possible? Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for time to worship, time to uh, read from your scriptures. God, time just to talk about um, these great truths from your scriptures. And God, I pray for those of us in the room who uh, will take this challenge and take it seriously, God. Help us find next steps just to live in a way that people can't help but ask questions. And then God, give us the courage to be able to answer in a way that points people to you. And we pray this through Jesus. Amen.